back to that good NFC AFC competition. This is the five spot. We're going to give everything that you need and probably trying to figure out of what happened to your football team. A lot of things happened on a positive note. Some things happened on a negative and then bad decisions were made. Tough and bonehead plays were made. Uh, and then at the end of it all, Big Red is back in the Super Bowl. How about that? The guy that we all know and love, and he just can, continues to have success with his quarterback, which I know a little bit about, about the successful quarterbacks. We will get into that later. But as far as right now, let's dive into the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl, at this particular point, we have the San Francisco 49ers versus the Kansas City Chiefs, a rematch of, of the game out in Miami. Such an exciting time. I was there, got a chance to talk to the team. Uh, they won that particular game. I think it was all because of my conversation, but we'll get deep into that a little bit later. Armando Cigar is my host. Armando, let's go right into it. Kansas City Chiefs, a lot of questions early on. Seem to figure things out. The San Francisco 49ers pretty much were the top team, if not 1B, all throughout the season in the NFC, now find themselves in the Super Bowl. What are your thoughts and what are you looking forward to in the Super Bowl? Yeah. Uh, so, Donovan, I'm a little afraid. Right okay. Now. A little concerned. Okay. Because the last time these two teams played in a Super Bowl, we got a pandemic. <laughs> and so, and so, what's coming after this game on Sunday? Uh, yeah, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a plague of, 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 I don't know, locusts or oh. something, or perhaps, you know, rivers opening and demons <laughs> coming out, or I don't know what's next, but I'm not looking forward to the after party, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, man, this is a, a matchup clearly where in one game, um, the better coach, the better coach team, the better disciplined team, the the team where, you know, they they didn't have as much talent, right. but they had the better game plan, the better. Andy Reid is the man, and I know you hate me saying that, uh, but he is the man. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> and in the other game, it was the worst coach or the wor worst coach on that day that lost. And it was as simple as that. And what is interesting now is what happens over the next, you know, week or so. You've been to the Super Bowl. You know how it works. How, how tough is it for players now where you got cousins that you haven't heard from in 13 years calling you up and asking you for 50-yard line tickets? How, how is that work? What is managing that and, you know, learning a game plan for the biggest game of your life, probably. Well, the, these are two teams who obviously have been in this position before a few years ago. Now, there are a lot of new faces and guys who don't have the experience and understanding how to handle uh, these type of situations when it deals with family. Um, and this is a week which I appreciate uh, the NFL coming up with this opportunity where you get two weeks pretty much until game time. Uh, so it allows you to handle the administrative part and that being the tickets. And yes, you mentioned it. 
family members will come out of the woodworks. You have family members that also live in that area, which you probably haven't talked to in over 15, 20 years. Um, you got a lot of requests that seem to want to reach out to your parents or, or your wife. Uh, and you got to shut some people down because these tickets are not cheap. Uh, and then also, you know, you're, you're trying to enjoy the moment with family. And the thing that I want people to understand is uh, some people will say, well, you need to have your family there. And it's, you know, everyone wants to enjoy it just like you. And then other people who understand are just like, man, just focus in on the game and continue to keep it as business as usual the way you've had it all throughout the season. And that's the way that I tried to approach it. Now, we were at an allotment of, of how many tickets that we could get. Obviously, we could buy some tickets. Those who don't have family coming to the game, you would probably buy the tickets from them. Uh, so you want to get this thing situated at least by Thursday. And all those requests, you, you make sure that your immediate family's there. Uh, you make sure that, obviously, when it comes to grandparents, uh, your in-laws, uh, the close in-laws that, you know, the brother-in-law, the sister-in-law that was that was kind of there during the season in your career, uh, their nieces and nephews. And then once you start going to your college buddies and high school buddies, that's when you got to cut it short because it, it, it just doesn't stop. And I think for the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs, and I know what Andy's going to do, this thing will be handled and done by Thursday uh, and then they can continue to keep business as usual on the football side of things. I wonder, so after the game the other day, and I was at, in Baltimore for the AFC Championship game, all the Chiefs were talking about how Andy Reid throughout the season in the high moments and the low moments, and there was a lot of low moments, especially uh, a Christmas Day loss to the, Kansas, uh, to the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, Andy Reid was flatline. He was the right. same. Die all the way across. Right. How does Andy Reid handle a Super Bowl? Uh, the same as that. And the conversation after the game was, was as usual, hey, great job to the special teams, great job to the offense, great job to the defense, give love to his coaches, uh, talks about the GM and the owner. Uh, and then, of course, he, you know, he, he handles it with the Chiefs. You know, but after that, everyone goes home and Andy gets a chance to finally celebrate it with with his with his family, you know, his wife and his kids, uh, his grandkids. Uh, and, and he just enjoys the moment. But one thing I will know about Andy is after that game, the next day he's back in the office. And as the next day he's back in the office, the players are back in the office. And it's not mandatory, but as players that have been in this position before, and it's just like for me being in the NFC you know, championship and then finally making the Super Bowl, you're keeping everything the same. Hey, we're in here. We're watching the film. We're learning from our mistakes. Uh, we're lifting. Everyone's enjoying the moment, trying to handle you know, the business side of things, and we're out. Uh, but the thing about Andy that I, I appreciate is, like you talked about, when things are a little bit low, hey, hey, we're fine. We're fine. We're just this far away. You know, a few mistakes we got to clean up. We got to be a little bit more consistent uh, on on first and second down on defense. We got to make sure we tackle. But it'll be more of that instead of, hey, you know what, you suck, and you know we're gonna put somebody in your position. No, we're we're right behind you. Because think about it, their wide receiver Tony, after 
his season, I would say as three quarters of the season, he stuck with Tony. And then, yes, he, he was inactive for the playoffs, but he stuck with him. He tried to provide that confidence for him. And what, what did that do? That elevated Rice. That elevated all the other receivers to have their opportunity. And right now, Rice is their number one receiver, and he's playing well. So I, I just think for uh, most coaches, that's what you appreciate from your head coach when you're a player that understands that their season is kind of going this way, and at the right time, we're going to climb. So after that game in Baltimore, I was on the field for the Chiefs' victory celebration. Ah, I just went through puberty in the last four seconds. Um, And so Taylor Swift was like this far from me. Did, Did you give her a hug? Did you give her a hug? No, I didn't give her a five. All right, Taylor, I, yeah. I did for the sake of professionalism take a picture because uh, you know Oh, I, I oh my, no, come no, on. not a selfie. Not, oh, not on. one of these things. Uh, <laughs> I took a picture of her all so that, that conversation. <laughs> I could Hi, Taylor. I'm there. Armando. I'm on the five spot. <laughs> yeah, no, not one of these. Um so it was interesting because let me paint you a scene. Um, she finds, of course, her her boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, and they go through the whole rigmarole of this victory celebration. And afterward, they're coming out with their six foot twelve uh, bodyguard and uh, and the other guy who's only like six four and. They're walking away and someone yells out to Kelsey randomly. Hey, your brother is over there. And Kelsey's like, what? Jason Kelsey was like 40 yards away. And he turns to Taylor Swift and he goes, wait here. (laughs) It's like, wait here. Like, I got more important things to do. And he goes and he trots like 40 yards downfield to find Jason Kelsey who's wearing a Hawaiian shirt in 40-degree weather, bro. <laughs> I mean... Offensive I, lineman. Offensive I guess, lineman. I guess. I guess. And so they they meet and they hug, and Jason Kelsey starts to talk to Travis in his ear, you know, as they're hugging. And the one part that I heard audibly, because he repeated it twice, was the ending where he said, bleeping finish bleeping finish and what he meant of course was you're not done here the season's not over this isn't the final celebration right have one more game to go and it was ironic that a guy who last year wasn't able to finish was telling a guy who last year did finish uh but the message was you have to finish because without that, it's incomplete. Uh, and so I thought that that was pretty impressive that that even at that moment in the middle of a celebration over winning the AFC championship, there was a greater vision for you. Ha- you're not done. Get going. One more to go. Well, of course, I've been in that situation more than enough times where you lose the NFC championship and you communicate with a lot of friends, guys that you've played against over the years, uh, and you respect them as, as players. And obviously we just 
put everything out on the line. We weren't able to, to finish the deal. But that's a conversation that you have with, with other players is, hey, man, go out there and represent the NFC and finish the deal. Now, obviously, it's different when the brothers are talking, but meaning blood brothers uh, instead of the brothers. <laughs> you know, when the brothers are talking, you know, we have a conversation. It's like, <laughs> go finish this thing. You know what I'm saying? But, but it, it's more of you respect what they're doing. You understand the grind. You know what the goal is. Uh, and you want to see them just go and finish it. And I've had that conversation with, with Marshall Falk when we lost to uh, Tory Holt when we lost to the Rams in the NFC Championship. I've had that with Moussin Muhammad when we lost to Carolina. Um, and the list goes on of, of the other ones. And then when we made the Super Bowl, uh, and that was a conversation that I had uh, with, with Michael Vick and, and Algie Crumpler and those guys with the Falcons, uh, go finish the deal. Uh, because everyone knows what the ultimate goal is. The ultimate goal is to win a Super Bowl uh, and win as many as you can if you have that opportunity. But when you do make it, understanding how hard it is to get back there. And so you have to finish the deal at that particular point. And, and for the brothers, it, it's funny because I think there was an interview that uh, Jason had, and he never said that he was going to retire. Uh, he had talked about retirement after the season. But in that interview, he was talking more about being involved in what's going on in Philly, uh, not really ready to just kind of walk off in the sunset and be one of those guys that played, meaning like me, the alums, um, who they some, somehow forget at times. But, you know, uh, when you're involved and, and, and you're there, uh, then it's, it's a conversation that, that it's, you're still involved. And so I don't know what it may hold. A lot of questions are going up about – if Travis and, and Jason are going to retire together, uh, if they're going to try to play one season together, I don't know what it may be. But uh, in, in this regard, I think it's it's an exciting time for all Kansas City Chiefs players. And it's an exciting time for the San Francisco 49ers where you got guys who have never been in this position that are making it. And they got a young quarterback in, in Brock Purdy that's, uh, that's led them to this particular point. So it's an exciting Exciting deal for all football fans because of great storylines. You know, one guy that I didn't pay any attention to post-game, that I didn't follow around with my camera to see what he was doing and what he was the, saying? The best quarterback in the league? Yeah, bro. I, I It was like I, he wasn't there almost afterward because the limelight and the focus was on Kelsey, and that's weird. And And I know you have thoughts about that. That's crazy. Well, it's funny because, you know, and we know what type of person and player that Patrick Mahomes is. He's a great guy. He's he's team-oriented, um, work extremely hard in the offseason. I know his trainer. Uh, and he's the best quarterback in the league. And, and his numbers speak for itself. If you look at his record and his resume, um, it's unbelievable that he's been limited in sacks and turnovers in playoffs. And – you know, and being in the big moments, he protects the football and, and does everything that your elite quarterback should do. Now, with that said, it's like every Super Bowl, every NFC championship, every big game, you always see the quarterback going over to his wife, kissing his wife, hugging his kids, 
Uh, and it's like, oh, look at, look at this. You always saw Tom Brady and Giselle. Uh, you all you saw Matt Stafford uh, and his wife and his kids. Uh, you know, the list goes on for those who are married and have kids or you just so happen to have a superstar wife. Um, and, and it's a shame that everything that the NFL has done has focused so much on Travis and his relationship with with Taylor Swift that it becomes more about football than boom. Hey, it's Taylor Swift. This is what she's wearing. Oh, she's swag surfing. Oh, look, she's joined with a friend, Brittany Mahomes. Like, oh, they're high-fiving with their friend, Brittany Mahomes. And it's like, you do realize that's the quarterback's wife. Like, like the one who's throwing the ball and the best quarterback in the league, that's his wife. And they're making it out like almost like Brittany Mahomes is just like another girl who's just in the box hanging out with him. Uh, so I just think what the NFL has done has been um, – it's it's overshadowed what's going on on the field to focus so much on the pop star. You know, you mentioned that Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. I think the conversation with him has risen above that. And now people are wondering, is he the best quarterback of all time? And And when he gets to that plateau, and I don't think he's there yet, okay? Right, Just be right. Because that would be Tom Brady, right? Well, it's early, it's early in his career. It's early in his career to right. say that. Now, right. if he wins this Super Bowl, then the conversation will continue to carry. But it's almost – it's like I've, I've heard this before from somebody, but I, I took it on because I agree. Mm -hmm. Tom is not in the conversation with the Dan Marinos, the Troy Aikmans, the Steve Youngs. Um Otto Graham, he's not in that conversation with those guys. He's in the conversation right now with the Joe Montana and the Tom Brady. Because his Super Bowl appearances, his AFC Championship appearances at this young age, and if he wins this Super Bowl, we're talking dynasty. We're talking dynasty, and we're talking major legacy. That his, his legacy and career at this particular point, in only, what, seven years in the league? has him in that conversation with Tom and also with Joe. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that we know that Tom was the best quarterback of his day. Right. And, and the most prolific and the most successful, and that that has bled over into all-timeness. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback of this day, and he is he – is, like that little squirrel on the wheel in, in the cage, really working towards all timeness. Yeah. Uh, he's got the two Super Bowl wins, the three Super Bowl appearances, only 28 years old. Here's something that I'm going to say to you that you probably don't agree with because I haven't heard anybody agree with me in, with that. And that's fine because I have a lot of people that don't agree with me and I don't care. Tom Brady, in getting to all-time status, he had to overcome Peyton Manning. Yes. He had to overcome Drew Brees. He had to overcome Ben Roethlisberger. He had to overcome Russell Wilson. He had to overcome the man, uh, the other Manning, who, who had more success against them, Eli, than anybody. Uh, those are... Overcoming Peyton Manning every year, that 
I mean, that's a climb. Overcoming Ben Roethlisberger and that franchise, that was a climb. Russell, Russell Wilson, that was a climb back in the day of, you know, of that team. So Patrick Mahomes so far has had to overcome Lamar Jackson, Jimmy G, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow. Uh, not the Tom same. Tom Brady. Old, old school Tom Brady. And failed, by the way. And failed. Uh, uh, a lot of situations that was involved in that. But, yeah, he, he did fail. Lost. Yeah, yeah. Lost the game. He, he did. So, yeah, I know. I get it. No offensive line, but you lost the game, brother. Yeah. <laughs> the, the point is, Patrick Mahomes needs better better competition to climb to that, you know, uh, Mount Olympus kind of level because Lamar is two and four in the playoffs. Jimmy G was benched and just a guy. Josh Allen can't win in the playoffs. Jalen Hurts, at this point, you know, he followed up a great season with a not great season. Joe Burrow has been hurt two out of the four years he's been around. Uh, it's not the same as Peyton Manning and Ben Roethlisberger and, and Drew Brees and those people. It's just not the same. Yeah, but do we fault him for that? That's just that's not his something that he can control, and it's not something that that uh you know we can hold against him. Because I mean, even I was in I was in that era with Tom Brady and Peyton, Peyton Manning. Um, and we were probably second or third as far as winning percentage uh, over that decade uh, in Philadelphia, and so um, and we didn't we weren't hurt as much as these guys now. These guys now are like banged up, they're they're hurt, they're missing, they're um, they're in, they're out, uh, and then there's no consistency. And so I think when you look at the different eras, because you go back to Joe Montana when Joe Montana played. You know, obviously, you talk about the Steelers, uh, you know, the Cowboys, uh, and that whole 49er Cowboy rivalry was big then with Troy Aikman. Um, you know, so it was just a little bit of who are these quarterbacks, all oh, their first round draft picks, second round draft picks, whatever it may be. But I think at this particular point, you got to give credit to what Patrick has done because he hasn't allowed anybody to even be on the same stratosphere as him. We tried to put Joe Burrow up there. And Joe Burrow can't stay healthy. And so, yeah, Joe Burrow's a great talent. But if you're not on the field, we can't say on a consistent basis that you're up on that level. And I'm I'm guilty of it because I put Joe Burrow uh, as the number two quarterback. And then people have put Justin Herbert in that. And Justin Herbert hasn't won a playoff game. Uh, and then, you, you know, you go Josh Allen, and Josh Allen can't get over the hump of Patrick Mahomes. And then, you know, Lamar Jackson, which I love Lamar, and I think he's progressing, but – you know, your playoff record is what your playoff record is. So I just think for Patrick Mahomes, to be honest with you, I mean, he's the king on, on the throne that's just sitting there and everybody else is scratching the surface trying to get up to his feet. And he's like, yeah, not today. Kick him off. Uh, yeah, not today. Kick him off. Um, as Taylor Swift's song, Shake It Off. Um, <laughs> your favorite. <laughs> Bro. <laughs> Bro, by the way, is that a song of hers? Because I have no idea. I don't. I, I don't. I don't even really know if it's her song, but I know it's a song called "Shake It Off." But um, you know, I just, I just think at this particular point, 
you got to give credit to Patrick Mahomes and what he's been able to do because it's been impressive. But let's move on to the other team that's playing, the San Francisco 49ers, beating the Detroit Lions uh, in the second half, basically, to get themselves in this position. What you've seen from Brock Purdy, and I know it was kind of shocking to everybody seeing him being mobile and running and things of that nature. Was it more impressive that he was able to lead this team the way he did? Or was it kind of one you're still trying to figure out, okay, what kind of quarterback is Brock Purdy? Well, we don't know anymore. I mean, I went into Sunday thinking he's one kind of quarterback, and he comes out with – he rushed for four yards less than Lamar Jackson did in the uh, championship game. Right. Uh, he had, like – was it one or two 20-yard runs? I think it was two. I mean, yeah. huh? <laughs> what are you doing? Who are you? Uh, and God bless him for it. Look, I, 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 he's got a great team around him. Let's all agree to that. Uh, that great team didn't look that great in the first half. Let's all agree to that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, no quit in the Mr. Irrelevant of the 2022 draft season, no quit. And everybody followed the no quit. And They were, they were so impressive, but I, I'm gonna. That game was lost as much as it was won. Let's uh, get into it. Let's get into it. Come on. Uh, I mean, the Dan Campbell factor is the thing yeah. when discussing now the Detroit Lions season, and Dan Campbell absolutely hurt his team on Sunday. There is no doubt about that, and there's. I mean, it's just I saw Dan Campbell hurting his team on Sunday. That's that's what I can say about that. And and let me add to it because I know a lot of people are defending him, and nor am I coming down on Dan Campbell and his decision-making. I thought in that first half, uh, Johnson, the offensive coordinator, dialed up great plays uh, to, to put the pressure on San Francisco. Very familiar from what we've seen from the Green Bay Packers when they played the San Francisco 49ers, running the football and getting downhill versus that defense. What you do is you neutralize those pass rushers uh, as you're now picking up four, five, six yards a pop on the running plays. And then that sets up the play action. What I've seen uh, from Detroit in that first half was outstanding. It was great play calling, great execution, Montgomery and Gibbs were picking up great yards. Obviously, Williams came around on the reverse, getting Laporta the ball out on the bootleg. They were they were writing the script of how they wanted the beat down to go in that first half. And to me, what stalled it, and it was just on a mistake from Jared Goff. I'll say it should have been a catch, but I'll put it on Jared Goff. On that fourth down play. Now, I understand you have the momentum and you want to put your foot on that throat. I get that in the first half. And when Jared had to move, which he's not a mobile guy, he had to move. All he had to do was reset and come over the top and put it right on the receiver. He put it off a little bit to the right, which it still should have been a catch, but then it makes it a difficult catch. Now, what did that do? That gave uh, San Francisco a little bit of energy going into the locker room at halftime to come out and they dialed up play after play after play, boom, field goal. Now, when you understand as a coach 
okay, momentum has shifted a little bit because they're dictating now how they wanted to go in the second half. That fourth down call that he called in in the second half should have been a field goal because they were now taking over your defense, which I've said it, their weak link was their secondary. And they were now controlling the game where you have to come out with points. I guarantee they make that field goal. And people talk about, well, the field goal kicker is less than 50% from that distance. I don't care. The momentum has now shifted. And we're not doing what we need to do on offense. Let's collect the points. And that play call was, it, to me, I, I thought it was, it was confusing. I'm like, what are you running? And... Give credit to Steve Wilkes because he diagnosed that defensive scheme where it looked like it was man, and he went right in the zone, and it confused Jared Goff, which threw him off, and he got some pass rush from the D-tackles. So everybody's coming down on Dan Campbell for his fourth down decisions. Let's let's talk about that because I don't think that's the reason that he blew it. No. Just, let me preface He that. was a part of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No doubt about it. But here's the thing. Uh, and, and I'll get to the real reason that he absolutely bonked. Um, so it's it's the second half, and you're coming out 24 to 7, and you have dominated the other team. And the other team, you know, gets the ball first, San Francisco, and they drive down the field. Hey, we're gonna come back. And they <laughs> and they get a field goal. Field right? goal. Right. Yeah. So now it's 24 to 10. Then Detroit says, nah. -ah -ah. You're not coming back on us today. <laughs> and they drive down the field. And they're at the 28-yard line, and it's fourth and two. And Dan Campbell goes, I'm Dan Campbell. I make crazy decisions. And it's not so crazy because on fourth down this year, he's 20 of 25. That's right. 80%, that's 80% success rate. I get it. He goes for it. They fail. Here's the alternate thinking. Dan, actually, your field goal kicker is one of one this season between 40 and 49 yards. That was going to be a three-point, you know, uh, answer to their what? To their three points. Right. In other words, you kick a field goal, you have now matched what they did with all this excitement in their previous drive, and you've sent the message, uh, once again, puberty, you sent the message, uh, whatever you do, we're going to match. Right. If you field goal them against their field goal, it's a match, and they're still three possessions down. Right. And he didn't do that. And then he didn't do that again in the fourth quarter when it was, what, fourth and, uh, I don't was know. Was it fourth and three? Fourth, fourth and three. three yeah. From the 30. Yeah. Um, and, and at that point, you know, they, had scored, they had scored 10 points, correct? They had scored 10 points in that second half. Yes. Um, and again, they run this play from the 30-yard line where they put the ball in Jared Goff's hands, except that the receivers at some point, they're all clumped up, all three of them in the same spot before they break apart. And by that time, it's too late because the San Francisco rush is wanting to eat up Jared Goff like he's dessert. And, right. and it messes up. Here's the play, you know, and, and he's getting, he, Dan Campbell, is getting ripped for that. Here's where he screwed up that he screwed up. At the end of the game, 
at the end of the game. He's- Ran the football. Exactly. Ran the football. But see, this is this was my issue because I'll I'll add to that. Because on first down, first down, I forget what play that they made. The play you should have ran the football was on second down with three timeouts because they had spread them out. I think it might have been one linebacker in the middle and maybe a safety on the outside. That's when you run the football. Run the football, get to the one. Hey, you don't get it, timeout, okay? Now we, we're right on goal. Like it's it's third and one or whatever it may be. And But he ran the football on third down when everybody knew you was running the football. You brought Montgomery in the game. You brought Montgomery in the game to run the football, and they just condensed the whole defensive top line. Like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, with three timeouts, what are we doing? Like, we fell apart. And then you go for it on fourth down, which is kind of like, okay, you're killing me. And so I, I'm with you on that, but it still went to that sec- second fourth down when they went forward in the second half, which I'm like, kick the field goal. Like, don't let your ego kind of take over your decision-making. And that's exactly what happened. Detroit lost that game. San Francisco, to me, didn't win that game. Yeah. Uh, so back to that fourth down on, on – not the fourth down, the fourth quarter running the football. You can't run the football there at all. No, it just – if you do it early, you got three timeouts. If you do it early, okay, we got a timeout. Now we go into our whatever. But I think they would have scored. They would have scored on that. But that's academic. Because yeah. the, they, the they let the play clock run out too. At that point, the timeout is more valuable than the points almost. Because if you use any of those timeouts, now when San Francisco gets the ball, you have to onside kick, which is never going to work in the NFL anymore. Right. And you you have to, and you only have two timeouts, so they can take the knee. Uh, and kneel down in victory formation on fourth down and the game's over. If you don't run the football, even if it's incomplete, you don't waste the timeout. And now when when San Francisco gets the ball, it's a minute to play. You can call a timeout on first down, call a timeout on second down, call a timeout on third down. Now they're punting. And you get the ball back with between 35 and 40 seconds to play with the, the season on the line from your 30-yard line, maybe, as opposed to Detroit never got the ball back. Right. And that is the killer. Dan Campbell deciding let's run the football on offense cost him a chance to win the game on defense and then get the ball back for the offense. And that was a total bonk on his part. The the whole sequence from two minutes on was the the whole bonk. It was like they let time run off the clock too much. And it got to the point where I think it was only a minute left when they decided to do that. And so I, I just think for for Detroit in, in the situation, everything that could go wrong went wrong for them in that second half. The interception that was dropped that bounced off the helmet that IU catches and lands on the four yard line. That that's a mistake. And the and the question that I I would have had for the referees, if IU drops drops that ball or it's picked, do we call pass interference? Because remember the flag went up, 
And when they see now you catch the ball, they pick the flags up. If that was intercepted, does does the referee pick the the flag up? Does he say this? There's no call. Interception ball going Detroit's way. Please don't put me in this. In the I mean, put me in I pinstripes. Mean, I don't I, ever wear pins. I don't ever wear stripes. Okay, it makes me look fatter. I'm not into it. I don't like it. Don't put me in stripes ever, ever, ever. That's one of the things that our friendship goes so far. And that's about the line where you make me look fatter. That's, that's, <laughs> that's not right. That's not right. That's wrong. That's, but that's, that's one. I think that is the question when I seen it, I'm like, Oh, what are we doing? Like, Oh, okay. But I will say this all in all, Congratulations to Brock Purdy, Arizona native. Went to school not even seven minutes from me. Um, won a state championship. The kid can move. So watching him scramble out of the pocket uh, was something that he did in high school. Uh, but he's become one of those guys that sit in the pocket. He can utilize his legs. Um, but those were key moments in that game that he helped change it. Now, obviously, in the first half, McCaffrey was getting getting held down. Second half opened up the run game a little bit. Debo Samuels helped in in the run game, uh, picking up big yards for him on those jet sweeps. Uh, Kittles with big catches. Ayuk with obviously a big catch. They were able to change things around in that second half where Kyle Shanahan was diagnosing plays and putting the pressure on uh, the defense of Detroit. So I think when I look at this Super Bowl matchup, to me, and it's funny because everyone's like, oh, my God, you know, this is, this is unbelievable with Purdy. Slightly, it's very similar to what they had with Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, although Jimmy didn't play well in the playoffs like that, or well, I think he might have completed nine nine passes or so in the <laughs> NFC Championship. The thing, the thing that I look at looked at for Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco, he was a winner. His his winning percentage in San Francisco was kind of almost not to the point of where Purdy is, but he was a winner as well. So what happens in this Super Bowl if Purdy does, doesn't win? Is it going to be the same conversation like we had with Jimmy Garoppolo? Or will it be something a little bit differently? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because this goes back also to the Dan Campbell thing. Results, when you're discussing Dan Campbell, people will say to you, oh, you're just looking at the results of the play. You're playing the results. Of course, because football is about what? Results. Nobody judges on Mondays uh, when the games are done on Sunday. Nobody judges good decisions. They discuss and the standings talk about results, W's and L's. So, yes, results are the thing. So don't tell me we can't discuss the result of a play or the result of a, of a game when that is 100% the only thing that matters. That's the only thing. These don't play the results, gang. You're stupid. You're stupid. Because if you don't play the results, you don't know the point of the game. The game is based on the result of it. And every play is based on the result of it. Was it a good play or a bad play? 
It doesn't matter if it was a good call, if it was a sack. It doesn't matter if it was a terrible call, if it went for 75 yards and a touchdown. The result is the thing. And with Brock Purdy, you know, the result is the thing. I'm not one of those that believes that quarterback play is uh, you get quarterback one and loss. That's that's a hard topic for me because I'm not it's a team game, right? It's a team game. But yeah, guys like you, they get hung with, well, you know, Donovan McNabb's one loss percentage. What is this tennis? (laughs) (laughs) You were out there by yourself. (laughs) I mean, that was you. You were part of a team. There's it's I don't know. I I just don't like the results, people. Uh, the results people are stupid uh, as far as I'm concerned. Well, that's the only thing that they can hang their hat on when it comes to the quarterback position because it's really about winning and losing. It's not about, well, he played great, but um, it, it comes down to, well, did he win or not? And it's unfair to the the actual player and for those who truly understand the game and how it goes. But join us here back on Thursday as we keep diving deep into the Super Bowl matchup. We'll get a little bit deeper into what happened with the Baltimore Ravens. Also, we'll dig into what does this mean for the future of the Detroit Lions. So join us back here at the Five Spot. I'm your host, Donovan McNabb, Joe with Armando Segura, where Armando's going to go and get some cold water and cool off because he was fired up just at that last moment.